following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Please turn to Mark. Kind of anywhere you want, Mark is fine today. But you can go to Mark 1 first. Good to have all of you here today. Good to see Everett. Everett, where are you at? There he is. Everett's back, everybody. So make sure you say hi to him. Glad to have him back with us today. Prayed for him a lot, as we do for all of our men who are serving us overseas and deployed. Uh, Ed mentioned there's going to be more snow next week. I haven't heard that. I was kind of bummed about the snow we got this week, even though I like snow. But after my announcement last week of some of the problems I have when we have cold weather, I cannot tell you how many emails and texts and comments I got, people making fun of me. So thank you all very much. I appreciate it. Uh, I will say this week to rectify some of those problems, we, we put in a humidifier and we boiled a pot of water all week. So there was much less static in our house, and I was very happy. If you don't know what I'm referring to, then it's just a good reminder for you that you need to be here every week, because you don't know what you miss week to week, and it's very important. You're here in Mark 1. We're just going to go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll begin our time together this morning. Jesus, What an encouragement these songs have been, a reminder to us that it is your fame and your renown that we are here for. And so it is a joy this morning for us to worship you. It is a joy this morning for us to sing these songs of thanksgiving and praise to you because you alone are worthy. You are all we have. We've been reminded of that here in Mark throughout the study so far. We are going to be reminded of it again today, I pray. We give you this time as we gather both around your word and around your table, as we consider how you're working both here and around the world, Lord, help everyone in this room to walk out of here today focused on you, remembering that everything we have comes from you. And so we give you this time, we ask your blessing on it, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, doing something a little bit different today, uh, as you can probably already tell, typically we do when we have communion, uh, We're not going to take our normal time in the book of Mark to work through it as we've been doing. We'll continue that next week. We thought it'd be good to take a break today and just remind ourselves of a couple of key, key truths that we've seen in the book of Mark. And these these truths are simple, and yet they're profound. And when you get right down to it, these truths are at the very core of the gospel itself. And for the first truth that we're going to talk about, it's there's no one passage here in Mark that I would turn us to because it's kind of the truth that undergirds the entire book of Mark and everything that we've seen so far to date. It's the truth that Jesus came to us, right? Okay, we've, we've talked about that a little bit here recently, that Jesus came to us, that, that we didn't come to him. And I, I read you a quote, and I want to read it again as we kind of take a few moments to think about this particular truth. I read a quote from David uh, Garland, I think it was, just a couple of weeks ago, and it went something like this, that, that every other religion, every other religion is the result of man's search for God, whereas Christianity is the result of God's search for us. And I want you to think about that thought just just for a moment, that every other religion, it, it doesn't matter 
what religion you name, if they're kind of like Christianity, maybe Catholicism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, anything that's kind of in the general Christian realm, you might think of it that way. Or if you're talking about other religions, Islam, Buddhism, uh, Hinduism, I would even include atheism, and I could argue why I think atheism is a religion at a later time. But, but any other religion is the result, in the end, of man's search for God. And that that comment, that quote, is kind of building off of what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, where Paul says that every single human being on this planet, every man, woman, and child, in their heart, knows two things about God. Every single one of them. Number one, they know that he's real. They may deny that truth. They may try to suppress it. They may try to, to change it or, or mold it into something else, maybe even something that looks like themselves, but they understand in their heart that God is real. And number two, Paul says, they understand that he's powerful. And so every single human on this planet is pre-programmed with those two ideas. And if you want to know why they're pre-programmed, it's because, as Paul says in Romans 1, God has made it evident to them. They didn't have to be taught this. This is preloaded software. And it doesn't matter where you go in this world. It doesn't matter what time of history you look at. What do you find man doing? Looking for something to worship. Everywhere. At all times. He's looking for something to worship. And so whether that's ancient Babylon, ancient Egypt, it's the islands of the Pacific, it's the the jungles of South America, it's the cities, it's the small towns, it's now, it's a thousand years ago, it doesn't matter. Man is always seeking God in whatever way he thinks is right or whatever way suits him the best. But Christianity is different in that it is, if we take it biblically, it is the result of God's search for us. Not that we were wanting to come to him and mold him into our image, but that a God exists who made us in his image and who wants us, who wants to know us and have a relationship with us and, and be with us. God comes to us and that's, That's what we've been reading about here in Mark. I mean, if you just think to to verse 1, that the beginning, this is the beginning, Mark writes, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's the beginning of the good news that God sent his own Son to us. Not after we had become good enough to deserve it. Not after we had done all the right things and turned our life around and and became uh, somehow acceptable to him. He came to us when we were unacceptable. He came to us when we were sinners. He came to us when we were in our rebellion and we were enemies, what what Jared read just a few moments ago in Peter. This This is how God came to us. And the reason I'm reminding us of this truth is because of our stated mission here at Cornerstone. I would challenge you to quote it, but I will not. We said that our mission at Cornerstone is to proclaim Christ with all of the energy that God gives us, so that we can make people perfect in Jesus Christ. In other words, so that we can present people to God like Christ. And so for the unbelievers in our lives, that means proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming truth so that they will hear it, and hopefully the Spirit will open their eyes and they will understand it, accept it, and believe. For one another and for other believers around us, it's no different. We proclaim Christ. 
That's all we have. We proclaim Christ over and over again to everyone around us because we want them to be like Christ. And if we're saying that that's our mission, then I hope you understand that that should be your desire as well for yourself to be like him. Well, guess what? If you want to be like Christ, and if Christ took the initiative to come to us, not when we were acceptable, not when he liked us, not when we had gotten everything worked out, then may I say to you that in turn, it's your responsibility and my responsibility to be going out to others. Not when they are acceptable to us, not when they've gotten their lives fixed and it's not as big of a mess and we, we, can, we can handle them in our home, not when they're like us or, or in similar life situations to us. None of that matters. It is our responsibility as believers in Jesus to go to them. And that's true locally. That's true here with your neighbors and your coworkers, that you go to them. You're not just sitting at work hoping that maybe someday they'll come and ask you about Jesus. What is the gospel? Can you tell me? That would be great if people did that, but that doesn't happen most of the time. It's your responsibility to go to them. It's our responsibility as a church to, to reach our country. I wish, I wish Bill and Tamara could be here today. They're in, they're in Chicago, right? They're in the nor, uh, river north section of the city. And if you don't know the city, that's not the best of the best, and it's not the worst of the worst. Believe me, there's a lot of bad spots in Chicago. But it's not a great place. They walk out their door, and there's drug dealers and prostitutes and homeless people walking up and down the sidewalks. They didn't wait to, to go into the suburbs and try to reach people that were most like them. They They went out to the people who needed the gospel that no one else was bringing it to. It's true internationally that we need to be reaching our world. And so Jonathan and Sarah are out in Indonesia right now representing us. And if you don't know what Indonesia is, it's the largest Muslim country on earth. They didn't go to the safest place, the easiest place, the nicest place. They went to one of the hardest places. Put their children in danger. Why? Would would you do that? Would I do that? Take Nathaniel and Hannah? one of the most dangerous places and just so I can present Christ? I don't know. But they saw a need and they went because that's what Jesus did. He went, came to us, not when it was safe, because it definitely wasn't safe for him. Not when it was all good and we were acceptable to him. He came when none of that was true because of his love for us. And so to illustrate that point this morning, we asked Lydia Whitelam if she would come up here and share with us in just a moment about her ministry to Peru. And, and Lydia, I'm going to say something, and I hope it doesn't sound offensive. She's just a normal person. I don't, you're extraordinary too. Though. My point is, is that oftentimes when we talk about people who are going to be missionaries, we think of them, oh, they're the missionaries, right? They're the, oh, they're special. And they're just like everybody else. They're just normal people, though, who have seen the need to go. Not where it's safe, not where it's acceptable, not where everything's just like they might like it. But they want to be like Christ and they want to go and they want to spread the gospel. And so Lydia's going to Peru. And we thought it would be a good challenge to us and a good reminder to us just to hear from somebody who's doing it. Just to hear from somebody who's been there, who's going back there, so that we can be encouraged by that. We've known, I've known Lydia and her family probably for about 15 years now, I'm thinking. Uh, her dad and I serve together on the board of the seminary. Her brother, who's here today, is our church's accountant, so we've got to be very nice to him. Um, just kidding. You don't have to be nice to him at all. Uh, we, we love the Whitelums, and so it's a good opportunity for us just to hear about how God is continuing to work out the sending of his people all around the world. So, Lydia, would you come up, share with us how God is sending you? 
and then I'll come back up when you're done. Is doing improve that I get to be a part of, um, and so that's really exciting for me just to be able to share. And like Stacy said, I've known him for a while. Um, Sharon Kester was my best friend growing up in high school, and so it's good to be with you. And I know several of you, Amy Potoska, I grew up with her as well, um, and I've seen others as well that I know. So it's really good to be here. Um, and so, like I said, I just want to brag on God, because God is good. And when you hear the verses that God wants to call um, from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and then you actually see Him do it, it's awesome. So like Pastor um, Stacy said, I was in Peru for a year and a half. I did an extended internship, so I live down there, um, and I get to go back, and I'm excited about it. And if you're not in my Spanish class, I used to teach Spanish, and so they would have geography lessons. And if you're not in my Spanish class, you might not know where Peru is. So there it is. It's in South America. It's really puny compared to Brazil, but it's actually the third largest country down in, Peru, or down in South America. Zoom in a little bit closer. Cusco is the city where I live. Um, there's two languages in Peru. You have Spanish, which I speak fluently, and they also have Quechua, if anyone in here really loves history. That's the language of the Incas that has survived. Um, and Cusco in Quechua means belly button. <laughs> um, Urubamba is actually the city where I live, um, and that one in Quechua is home of the house spider. So where in Peru am I going? I'm going to the belly button that has spiders in it. <laughs> so great, great selling point. I am in the Andes Mountains, so it's absolutely beautiful, but that's the town where I live right there. It's a very small, slow-paced town. Everyone just kind of, you know, goes from day to day, no real planning, very different than what we have here in America. Um, their idea of colorful homes, so different than what we would do. You get bright orange and blue and pinks and greens and yellows all on the same street possibly right next to each other, right on top of each other. They have a different idea of what beauty is. Um, they also have very kind people. Um, here's some Quechuan Indians. They love those bright, vibrant colors, and they're just really sweet. They want you to come over. They want you to have tea. They want to have a conversation with you. This is one of my neighbors. With her hat, she probably comes up to my shoulder. Um, real short little lady, but she's really sweet. Um, and here's just a kid, another Quechuan Indian. Um, they're very kind people. They love having conversations with you. What I found interesting when I was down there is, this is Peru. Everyone assumes that they're Christian. Well, they're most likely Catholic. Um, that's the major religion there. But when you actually look at who believes the Bible is true, who believes that Jesus Christ is God's son and is the only way to God, you're at 11.6%. And ma the majority of those Catholic believers who even have somewhat of a background, I mean, they have God's word, they're just misinterpreting it, their religion even still is going to blend with the Incan traditions. It's going to blend with their tribal beliefs. It's going to blend with various myths that they have. So you have this blending of religions, um, which is very interesting. A very short story, I was cutting a girl's hair one time, and I cut it outside. She turned around and looked at me and goes, what are you going to do with my hair? I'm going to let the birds just take that away. Build a nest for the little birdies. Because she looked so concerned, I tried to kind of, you know, lighten the mood. found out a week later that they think their soul is in their hair. And I told the bird to carry it off. <laughs> and so it was very interesting for me to be there and actually see this blend. And this is a Bible college student. Um, she grew up in the church and didn't understand how God's word overcomes um, those myths and religions that she grew up with. So it's a very interesting situation. Um, there's multiple languages. There's multiple people. Um, there's about a, over 100 people groups, and many of them have their own language. So it's very interesting. I'm in the Andes, but you could go down south, and you could go down to the lake. 
Um, you could also go to the Amazon rainforest. We have a broad range. Um, and like I said, Peru's one of the largest countries down in South America. And so sometimes I'm kind of overwhelmed with, how are you going to reach these people? The harvest is so big. What are you going to do about it? We don't have enough laborers. There's only, I think, three families on our team and two single ladies. That's it. How are you going to reach these people? Easy. Two things. First thing you're going to do is you're going to train more laborers. Fill the field. It's really actually simple. We have a Bible college where we train the nationals. We equip them to go plant churches. We equip them to evangelize. We equip them to go back to the tribes and tongues that they're from. Um, it's really exciting just to be a part of it. We have a two-year Quechua certificate program for those that don't speak Spanish. Um, and then we also have a four-year degree program for those that do. And while they're studying, they get to serve in a church plant. So they get, to, they get used to what a church should look like, and they get used to being in that church, and then they get to go and plant their churches. Um, here's two victory stories. Train the people who can go and teach others. I got to go out to a tribe. It was a very trying trip. You actually got in the river, went up the river. This was actually really close by. It was only a 40-minute river trip. Very small tribe. Um, And let's see if I can go back one. That's what it looks like. It was about 18 families. They had about 10 little houses out. Um, Absolutely no running water, no electricity, and they love life. Um, Adriel, the guy in the yellow shirt, this is after his freshman year. He decided he wanted to spend his summer break helping out some missionaries. He speaks this tribal language. They speak Yine, and I don't. He can reach them, and I can't. So bring them into the Bible college and send them out to reach their own people. He was teaching that morning on Daniel. This is La Familia Wilka. Both husband and wife are graduates of the Bible college, and they're actually planning a move. They're actually heading to the mission field now to a location on the river where by river they can get to several other locations to reach tribes that speak a language that I don't. And so it's exciting for me to see God actually reach those different languages. I love languages. I only speak two, and I get to learn one more. I get to learn Quechua. Um, And so the languages are exciting for me because I enjoy them, and I notice it so much more when I can't reach those people. Mm. I get stuck in that tribe, and I want to tell them about Christ, and I can't. And I can't learn all the languages of Peru. But the people coming to the Bible college, I already know some of them. So why not train them and send them out? Here's the future victory stories. These are graduates from last year. Um, Some of them are working in Cusco, a nearby city. Some of them are looking into church planting. So I'm excited about what God's doing through the Bible College. Um, My role in this, and this is where it gets awesome, look at the sovereignty of God. I had an advanced high school program. I was fluent in Spanish before I left high school, majored in Spanish, taught Spanish. I get down there, and they need someone to translate. We have English professors. There aren't enough Spanish-speaking professors, so we bring in English professors. I interpret for them during class as well as translate all the work outside of class. I get to teach one class, which I enjoy. It was the Spanish grammar course. God got me ready for that one. Um, This is the class of 2015. I am their sponsor. They're going to be seniors next year. So I am praying that I get back to them as far as discipleship and making sure that their heart is ready for the ministry as well as their brains being academically ready for the ministry. So in a hurry to get back to them. Um, And then, of course, get into people's lives. I teach violin, and I play viola, uh, but I teach violin for the purpose of discipleship. Um, And I also do Bible studies with new believers from church. This is a church, um, this is the church that I attend, and um, it's a new plant, or not a new plant, but it's, um, it's, an, it's actually an older plant, but it's in the process of getting transitioned over into nationals, um, so it's really exciting just to see that. Um, we have lots of kids there, and that's where I come in. I taught high school, and so I love the high school kids. I was able to start the JV program, and God provided a, a seminary graduate to come and teach them. 
It was amazing. And then, of course, they have a Christian school, which just started. And tomboy, I get to teach PE. (laughs) It just doesn't get better than that. I mean, God uses even your personality, and he puts you with the right ministry, and it's something that I really get excited about. And then, of course, you do get to go on trips. There are several places you get to go. Sometimes it's up the river. Sometimes it's over the mountain to reach places that your Bible college doesn't reach. Um, You have jungle places, really cute kids, really filthy feet. And, yes, they actually hang their babies in trees when they're sleeping. It keeps them cooler in the 100-degree weather. So if it's ever really hot here, now you know what to do. Um, And then here's another mountain area. And just being able to teach the kids. Um, was just really fun for me. And then the girl on the bottom is a hopefully future potential student for the Bible college. And so it's really exciting for me just to see how God had planned out my life. And if I just follow him one step at a time, now I look back and say, wow, God did this. God is doing this work in Peru. Um, So the first thing, I like to get excited because God's working. When you read that verse, every tribe, tongue, and nation, here's proof. God is reaching every tribe, tongue, and nation. He's really doing it. Um, and then God has prepared me for this. And maybe he's prepared you for something or he is preparing you for something. Don't think that what you've done in your life so far doesn't count for something. God has used it for something. And you may not see it at first, um, but I pray that he would show it to you. Um, my specific prayer request would just be to pray for my ministries. Um, there are other missionaries taking on my load right now. Um, so just to get in a hurry to get back there so I can relieve them of taking over for me, as well as the ministries that aren't going on right now when I'm not there. Um, So pray that I get back in a hurry. I am praying I get back in 11 months from now. Um, And so I'm praying for a quick deputation so I can get back to ministries. Um, And then my table's up. If you're interested in following me, um, I would appreciate your prayers. Um, There's a prayer card out there. It's got my website on it. Um, And you can follow me on Facebook, all that sort of fun stuff. Um, And I look forward to spending communion with you guys today. And I appreciate being here. And thank you so much for the opportunity to share. See, just an example of how God can use people in whatever situations he's placed them to go. And that's what we all need to be doing as well. So thank you, Lydia, for sharing that. Second truth, we'll transition now into our time here around the Lord's table that we wanted to illustrate this morning here, highlight, illustrate, is that not only did Jesus come to us, but Jesus died in order to fellowship with us. In other words, he didn't just come on a sightseeing tour, okay? Like, you know, hey, I'll come to earth and see what it's like to be a man for a few years and then head back up. Uh, kind of thing. Now, he, he came with a purpose. He came with, with a goal, and that was to die on the cross for our sins. And I'd ask you just to look quickly at Mark chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Again, I'm not going to read it. Just want you to see it and remember what we saw there. As Jesus has just called Levi to be his disciple, and then he goes and he eats with him. Jesus and his disciples going to eat with Levi and the tax collectors and sinners, a motley crew of a dinner party, if there ever was one, right? So here they are, and they're eating together. And one of the things that we we took from that was that we need to be hanging out with unbelievers, which is true. We need to be hanging out with unbelievers. We need to be eating with them and spending time with them and getting into their lives. But here's the concern I have is that is all we will do is just hang out with them and eat with them and spend some time in their lives. Well, you can eat dinner with someone every night, but if you're a believer and they're an unbeliever and it goes no farther than dinner, then there's no point because eventually that fellowship ends. And I was reminded of that as I was looking here even at this story because here's Jesus. He's fellowshipping with these tax collectors and sinners that are gathered together around the table, but the only way for them to have a lasting fellowship, an eternal fellowship, is if he eventually leaves that room and heads to the cross. He has to die 
for them. And so he did. He willingly, purposely chose to die for our sins. And as I say that, I realize that that saying that Jesus died for our sins, it's so commonly heard by us that it's trite and meaningless much, much of the time. We hear it in one ear, out the other. So I'd remind you of what that phrase just implies. It implies to us that sin is real and that it matters to God. That sin is not simply a mistake that we make, a a shortcoming in our personality or character, something that we haven't done right. It's, It's okay. It's not that big of a deal. No, sin implies that we have offended a righteous, holy being. Sin implies that we are criminals who have violated God's moral law. Sin implies that we are rebels who have, who have attempted to overthrow the rule and reign of God. So to say that the sin is a trivial thing, it doesn't matter, is one of the worst lies that people will ever, ever believe. Sin is real and it matters to God. Second, it implies to us that someone has to pay for our sins. When we say that Jesus died for our sins, there's this implication that someone has to pay. When, when, when you offend an eternal God, the only fitting response is an eternal punishment. That's it. And so someone has to pay for this crime, for this rebellion, for this sin. And that person can either be us or, thirdly, this saying implies to us that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die in, a, in our place as a sacrifice, as a substitute That God said, okay, someone has to pay, but I love them and I don't want it to be them. My son, go, become a man, die in their place. And on the cross then, Jesus takes the full weight of our sin on him so that God in his righteousness can pour out all of his anger, all of his punishment, all of his wrath on his son. And so that on the cross, we see Jesus presenting himself as a substitute as a sacrifice for us so that we could have fellowship with him forever. That that was his desire. Jesus had to die in order for us to have this eternal fellowship. And, And he left us a picture. I mean, how fitting is it that the picture we have to both remind ourselves of what he did and and to proclaim to the world that he's coming again is a table. It's a meal that we share together. And in that meal, we're reminded of his pain, of his suffering, of his blood. We're reminded of the fact that this isn't all there is, that this is merely a foretaste of a greater meal that's coming someday in the future where we will get to enjoy fellowship with him forever. And so these two truths, that Jesus came to us and that he died to have eternal fellowship with us, are the things we wanted to remind you of and illustrate this morning. Lydia illustrated point one, and now this is going to illustrate point two. So if you will, bow your head. While you're bowing your head, men who are taking the offering, if you'll come, we'll sing a song in between here. But just take a moment, prepare yourselves, let's sing, and then we'll thank God for what he's done for us in Christ and coming to us and dying in our place. Jesus, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for sacrifice of Christ. Thank you for your willingness to come when we were unworthy, when we were unacceptable. You came. You didn't wait for us to, to turn our lives around. You came, and in your grace and your mercy, 
you died for us so that we could have eternal fellowship with you, so that we could know what forgiveness of sins is and find our hope in you. And you have promised now that all who believe in you, everyone who places their faith in you, their hope, their trust, can be forgiven and can spend eternity with you. And so there is nothing for us to do except offer our thanksgiving. There's nothing for us to say except thank you because you alone are worthy, Jesus. And so as we come into this time, prepare our hearts to remember what this table represents and what it proclaims for the future because we know a day is coming where we will eat this with you in heaven forever. And so we love you, Jesus. Thank you for our time together in your word this morning. In your name we pray.